Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica, and we are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we're going to talk about birth, babies, breastfeeding, nursing practice, and more from our perspective as nurses in the hospital world. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a newly pregnant, first-time parent, or expecting your second baby and you want a better experience this time around, this podcast is for you. Join me and my co-host and special guests as we discuss birth from the womb to the room. Hi, everyone. We're back with another episode of The Birth Nurses. We thought we'd start off our podcast by laying a foundation of traditional and non-traditional options for birth. Then we'll build on that theme by giving our audience an inside view of what we do as birth nurses, what we're responsible for, how we can help our community have better, more satisfying, and less fearful birth experiences. Oh, especially the fearful part. Yeah. We are on your side. Mm -hmm. We want you to be happy. So about three and a half million births happen every year in three the United and a States. Half million? Yeah, isn't that crazy? I feel like on our unit that yeah. just happened this <laughs> like month. Like we have a million of those. No, just kidding. <laughs> These births are predominantly in hospitals, but a fair number of babies are born in freestanding birth centers and at home. Yeah, home birth is absolutely mm-hmm. going strong. People mm-hmm. think just in Topanga Canyon, but it's not true. <laughs> Births are happening at home all over the place. Yeah. So today we're going to start with talking about hospital birth, and then in the next few episodes, this will be a two-part series probably, two or three-part series. Mm -hmm. In the next few episodes, we'll explore freestanding birth centers, birth centers within a hospital setting, and home birth. As hospital birth is the predominant choice for birth, I think it's essential for our community to know as much about how hospitals do birth. Right. Really? It's important for people out there to know what we do as birth nurses. Definitely. Um, L&D is fairly similar everywhere. I can walk into a labor and delivery unit and function. Mm -hmm. The technology, the electronic medical record, the meds, the medication, the electronic fetal monitoring, how we monitor contractions and mother's basic vital signs, those are all pretty standard throughout the country. So when a mom comes into the labor unit, we need a baseline of the fetal heart rate and her vital signs to determine her well-being and the well-being of her baby. And we document those findings first thing. Yeah, that's so important, getting that that initial reading on how the baby's doing. Uh, that's yep. a huge part of our job. It's, it's difficult when a patient comes in and doesn't want any monitoring. I know that's kind of been a thing lately to request no monitoring, but... Um, we need to get that baseline of how the baby's doing. We're open to discussion, too. If you want intermittent monitoring, uh, we can talk to your doctor about that and see if that's a good plan Yeah, for you. absolutely. So. How we assess the well-being of babies has changed so significantly over mm. the last few decades. Yeah, it's the technology is oh, always changing. Always changing. From continuous fetal monitoring to now more intermittent fetal monitoring. Mm-hmm. In fact, intermittent fetal monitoring has proved to slightly decrease the C-section rate because, of course, we work in a hospital. We have to act on what we see, and that may may or may not be a good thing. Yeah. 
I've been um, doing this for 200 years. <laughs> My legs feel like it. And uh, I can tell you that the changes have been um, significant. The standards of care change. Mm. Yeah, I've only been a nurse for five and a half years. And since the time I started, it's changed. So, Well, Liz, can you tell us our, more about how we operate in the labor and delivery unit of a hospital? Sure, absolutely. We operate according to policy and procedure and a standard of care. We in labor and delivery are required to work within this framework. Right. Right. Every part of the hospital, be it the part that does a psychiatric unit, an orthopedic unit, a medical surgical unit, all have policy and procedures and standards of care for their community. Right. Um, they're set by governing agencies such as the Association of Women's Health Obstetric and Neonatal Nurses. We call that A1. And American College of Obstetricians, we call that ACOG. ACOG. Yeah. <laughs> and within that framework is nursing diagnosis, but also intuition, mm-hmm. experience, common sense, and certainly input from our colleagues. I've been doing this for 30 years, but I would feel perfectly comfortable going to another nurse and say something like, I'm kind of on the fence about that fetal mm. heart rate tracing Let's gather around and talk about it. Yeah. Nursing is both a science and an art. You totally have to, collaborative. Yeah. You're going off of what you've learned in school, but also each case is different. Absolutely. So it's going to change. In your... And we never count, uh, excuse me, discount hmm. intuition. Definitely. I'm training a new nurse and she says, why do you think that person doesn't look good? And I just tell just them, don't feeling. worry about it. That'll come. Yeah. That'll it's like, come later. <laughs> the decision making is constant too as a nurse. Yeah. Um, just a little personal tidbit. Whenever I get home from work, so I'm night shift, and when I get Ugh. home, I am so just I do so <laughs> done making decisions. And my husband might ask, like, so what do you want to make for dinner tonight? And I'm just like, oh, don't. Don't ask me. I don't care. You decide. Like, I'll cook it, but I don't want to decide. I think people don't realize that your labor and delivery nurse is making a zillion assessments the entire time that you are in her care. Um, We are looking at every aspect of you from head to toe and taking care of your baby. Your baby is inside you. So essentially, there's two patients in every bed. Sometimes more in the room. But we'll get to the uh, extended family later. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, labor and delivery can sometimes turn into a negotiation between the nurse and the patient and partner. Hmm. Sometimes the parents' friends. Yeah, doulas, anyone else in the room, cousin, sister, mom. Yeah. Anybody who's influencing the laboring mother, we have to kind of dial into the dynamic of the room Mm. so we can establish a relationship with our patient. And I really want people to understand how important it is for the patient and nurse. So let me paint a picture. Mom comes to labor and delivery and she's hurting or she has some underlying medical or obstetrical issue that the doctor's called in. My job is to get her to a room and assessed in a timely manner. And we do that with the MFTI tool. MFTI. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. The Maternal Fetal Triage Index is an index used to determine a woman's urgency for evaluation. And it's similar in the emergency room. It leads to a brief assessment that in turn leads to appropriate care. So if a mom 
comes in and I look at her and she looks ill or she's bleeding Mm. or she has a crashing headache. That's stat. That means five minutes ago. Right. I don't want to dally Mm -hmm. around. I want to get her in a room on the monitors, take a a baseline blood pressure. I don't think that we need to go into the minutia of every single test, but that cascade of events Mm -hmm. means that I'm looking at something that could be something that needs to be dealt with immediately for survival, for long-term sequelae. That means long-term complications. Mm. And it's my obligation to get that done. So if somebody is standing in my way and doesn't understand that my urgency is all about the life before me, then that slows everything down. The next one is urgent. Maybe just high blood pressure in the office, uh, decreased fetal movement. I certainly want to get that baby on the monitor. Prompt, active labor patient, wanting pain control options. Somebody, yeah, Yeah, we're going to go as fast as we can. Pressure. It's Uh like, she's going to drop a baby right here at the nurse's (laughs) station. (laughs) Um, That's prompt. She's not ill. She's just in labor. That's great. And then non-urgent stuff. Like, she might have a UTI right. or scheduled test in labor and delivery, like NST, a non- right. non-stress yeah, test. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Something completely non-urgent. Hi, I think my water broke. I'm not mm-hmm. really sure. And by the way, yes, you can leak urine in your third trimester. <laughs> Just want to prepare you all for that fun little tidbit. And then, of course, scheduled procedures. That's just somebody who walks in the door because they're going to be induced that day or they're having a scheduled C-section or they're having a version. That means turning baby from breech to vertex. So when a laboring mom or a mom who's not in labor and is coming in for some kind of evaluation asks us to hold off or asks us to communicate with her partner or her doula, that's a delay in evaluation, which... In turn, I have to document. Right. If a woman were educated in this criteria, it would give them time to become comfortable with the process. Allow the nurse-patient relationship to begin in a relaxed and trusting dynamic. Ooh, I'm always good. interested. Okay, irritated. <laughs> <laughs> when a woman comes into L&D and is already defensive and suspicious mm. and they think we're trying to do something What I mean is, let me do me first Hmm. so I can get the basic stuff done. Then we can get on to what you have in your birth vision. We will talk about it all. Your plan, your birth support, your questions, all of it. Yeah, and there's so much time after that initial evaluation to negotiate more. Like, how much fetal monitoring will you need? Can you eat? Can you drink? Take a shower, sit on a birth ball. Did my doctor give me any restrictions, etc.? All of it. All of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. So back to outcomes and guidelines. The agencies I talked about set standards by using studies which produce outcomes. And that's almost in every standard of care. We call it evidence-based practice. And the truth is, although we have these evidence-based guidelines, we can't say that we use them at every opportunity. For Mm -hmm. instance, an OB or a hospital-based midwife may induce a patient for non-cause because he or she, I'm using air quotes here, mm-hmm. believes that certain data is more within that OB or midwife's philosophy. Sure. So there are lots of interpretations within the framework of hospital birth. Yeah, yeah, lots of different uh, ways that an OB or midwife would see a situation. Yep. They could look at the monitor and see it 
totally opposite Absolutely. from each other. We negotiate with our obstetricians too. And mm-hmm. if I want to interpret a fetal heart rate in a different way, then yeah. I need to bring some pretty good evidence to yep. that because I will get pushback, which I understand. All of our goal is to do the best for our patient, and we need to also have that same relationship with our OBs. Definitely. So you see there's lots of interpretations within the framework. It makes it a little bit confusing, and here is where the patient has a responsibility to have a serious dialogue with her OB or midwife and make sure that she is aware of the risk-benefit of everything they agree to. Mm -hmm. We call it informed consent. So if you're coming in in labor, if you're coming in for an induction, if you're coming in for surgical birth, you should already have informed consent, which means an honest, straightforward, open dialogue Mm -hmm. with your obstetrician about why this procedure is necessary. Oh, oh, so not just, um, you're going to get this procedure done. Are you okay with that? Right, exactly. Or because <laughs> my other favorite is, because my OB or midwife said so. Mm-hmm. Like, well, my mother used to but say that to what me. Are because I said what so. are the risks? What are the benefits? Yeah, right. that's in, that means you're informed, I'm informed and you're giving consent. Right, I am signing off yeah. on having a surgical birth because right. I understand the risk benefit mm-hmm. of surgery. I understand the risk benefit of being induced yeah. electively and I'm willing to forge ahead. And I'm making no judgment about that. Mm-hmm. I just want to know that when I am the witness to your signature right. on that informed consent, that I'm actually witnessing that you understand. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I launch into my explanation about risk benefit, much to the chagrin of the obstetrician, but my <laughs> argument is, hey, she really didn't understand that this was going to take three days to induce her. And now she's kind of rethinking that. So I'll call you back and let you know if we're going to proceed. Right. So I guess another thing I really want people to understand is we as nurses have a huge responsibility of maternal fetal well-being. And sometimes we deliver babies. Always that's fun. (laughs) And if the relationship is crowded or the patient has not been able to develop a relationship with me, then things can go sideways. When I can develop trust with patients, then the dialogue is so much freer and so much more relaxed. Yes, and we need to be a team. It's your body. It's your baby. So, and you, when you hired your OB, you essentially hired me or your birth nurse to do the job you that know, we're doing. Absolutely. That is yeah. such an interesting thing. I, I use this in birth class a lot. So if there's people out there that have taken my birth classes over the last 20 years, they're going to hear this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like if I go to your house for dinner and while you're making me dinner, I rearrange your living room furniture. Yeah. That's like, what um, it feels like. This is, you've this is my chosen house. An, <laughs> this is my house. You've chosen an obstetrician that I yeah. hope you trust. Yeah. You've chosen a hospital birth setting, which mm-hmm. could have not been your choice if you're low risk then let me do me so that I can take care of you within the policy and procedure and a standard of care. That's the framework that I've been trained. And I'm pretty well trained. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. (laughs) I think I am. Yeah, so we want to be on that same team. We want to be on the same page. And we want to involve you in the decision-making for your own care, your own body, your own baby. Absolutely. And we just really want your trust so that we can guide you in those decisions because some of those things, we're going to be, we're educating you the entire way. Yeah. And we need your trust that 
that everything's... It's a constant dialogue. Yeah. There mm-hmm. are some, of course, the unknowns. Sure, I of course. I get this question, I would say, every day, every shift. Do you think I'll deliver on your shift? Mm. I don't know. I have no clue. Do you think that I'll have to push for a long time? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, do you think I'll need a C-section? Uh, I don't know. And I know they're looking at me. I'm like, right. don't they pay you here <laughs> to know the answer to these questions? Actually, one one time, I was pretty spot on with guessing the delivery time. Yeah. But she was pretty far along in her labor. So really, it was a matter of hours. And I yeah. guessed like 11.22 or something. And the baby was born at 11.24. Oh, like I I was, that. But that never happened. Oh. I usually joke around with my patient. I say something like, yes, I think your baby's going to be delivered about 3.15. And they say, wow, really? And I'm like, no, not really. I have no idea. I said, one hour at a time. This is the ultimate staying in the moment process. If you are a person that needs to look out into the future many hours, you're going to be frustrated Mm -hmm. because labor is an ever-changing scenario having to do with the size and shape of the pelvis in relationship to uh, size and shape of the head, your mm-hmm. condition, if you're upright, if you're laying yeah. down a lot, if you're moving, so if variables. things are moving forward. Yeah. So keep going. Mm-hmm. Let it happen. Let it unfold. Yeah. And let us have a dialogue so you can feel comfortable with who we are, definitely, and then you're going to feel really, really comfortable letting us help you. Definitely. Let me talk a little bit about hospital policy and procedure. Policies are needed because they set a general plan of action, desired outcomes, functioning guidelines to help make decisions. And the purpose of policy and procedure is to communicate to employees the desired outcomes for the organization. In our case, the organization is the hospital that we mm-hmm. work for. Every place that gives medical or psychological care has those standards. Yes. Standards of care is a medical or psychological treatment guideline and can be general or very specific. It specifies appropriate treatment based on scientific evidence and collaboration between medical and or psychological professionals involved in the treatment of the given condition. So in legal terms, it's the level at which the average prudent provider in a given community would practice. Absolutely. And I stay as close within those guidelines as possible because I love my license. (laughs) And people say that to me all the time. We worked hard for that license. You're just doing this because you don't want to get sued. Well, I don't want to get sued. (laughs) But I also want you to have the best possible maternal fetal outcome. And I want you to come back and have more babies if you want. Mm-hmm. And I want you to be safe. And I want to represent the hospital that I work for in the best possible professional manner. That's what I'm hired to do. Yeah. The World Health Organization, sometimes we abbreviate that, WHO, who WHO. Um, defined normal birth as spontaneous in onset, low risk at the start of labor, and remaining so So throughout labor and delivery, the infant is born spontaneously in the vertex position between 37 and 42 completed weeks of pregnancy. After birth, mother and infant are in good condition. That's right out of the book. Yep. So what we mean is spontaneous and onset is that you didn't get induced. Mm -hmm. The baby stayed 
vertex, that means in the vertex position, head down, not breach, and everybody's good to go after delivery. So what do we specifically do as labor nurses? Mm. You mean, who am I? Yeah, who are you? (laughs) Who am I? Who are you, Sheena? Who are you? That sounds all very existential. Okay, (laughs) but in nursing terms, I am your labor nurse. I am working within predominantly registered nurses with several certifications, which allows me to work in a hospital setting. My certification includes advanced fetal monitoring, neonatal resuscitation, advanced cardiac life support, basic basic life life support, support, and many nurses get certified in their specialty. And many more nurses are becoming IVCLC, Shana. I can talk about that. I am pursuing that certification. So an Mm, IVCLC is an international board certified lactation consultant. lactation consultant. So basically a specialist in breastfeeding. Uh, I'm pursuing that right now. So excited. I'm a little nervous and excited, but uh, hopefully I'll pass my exam and have that those letters behind my name pretty yeah. soon. We are going to talk about breastfeeding and we're yeah. going to talk about the golden hour and yeah. we are going to talk about all those things to facilitate breastfeeding. So mm-hmm. not only am I a labor and delivery nurse, but I am also going to do everything I can to help educate you yeah. and get that first breastfeeding going mm-hmm. um, within the first couple of hours of birth during the baby's awake alert phase during those assessments. And we're going to talk about other people in the room in the next couple of episodes. Mm -hmm. The more lactation support a woman gets, the more education, training she gets before pregnancy. Uh, Well, also after, but (laughs) um, before. Before for sure. Yeah, Yeah. definitely increases the success rate of ongoing breastfeeding. There are still OBs who tell me, my doctor said I could take a class afterwards and I find this astonishing. So please, Mm. obstetricians, I'm literally begging. Get your patients to take a lactation class before. Don't you remember what that was like, some of you? Mm -hmm. I could barely take a shower the first three days. Right. Oh, my God. I wore the... You're constantly feeding a newborn, and you don't know... If you don't know how... I was a train wreck. I could get out of the house for a class? Like... No way. What in what world was that ever going to happen? Yeah. No, absolutely not. (laughs) Maybe I was just very low functioning. Don't use me as an example. But um, <laughs> the first couple of weeks after a very long labor, which resulted in a cesarean, I just thought I'd get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you all, having a bit of knowledge does not guarantee an outcome. That's true. Shall I repeat that? <laughs> repeat having it. Having a bit of knowledge does not guarantee an outcome. It's good. Uh, therefore, it's good stuff. by the time I got home, thank goodness I had lactation support. I really almost gave up the ship at about wow. three weeks. Wow. And then everything all came together, but it was uh, tough going. Yeah. So I can tell you from three decades of experience that the mom and dad who come into labor and delivery with a preconceived idea that we're trying to take away their desired birth experience, mm. those moms have already started a cascade of negative images, which I believe influence so much of the birth. It really does. It really does. And it's so hard to get. It's like this insurmountable wall that I have to get over to get back to, hey, I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. I was assigned to you today. Yeah. For 12 hours, I'm all about you. Right. We're supporting you. There's no other job here. Like, Mm -hmm. this is it. So when another person, be it a well-meaning friend 
or a well-meaning parent or other labor support has set up a defensive relationship with me, there's almost nothing I can do to be the advocate for my patient. Oh, that's tough. So I'm trying to get out to my community as, again, let me do me Mm -hmm. with my patient and then we can all have a conversation if anybody else has things they want to add in to the mix. Definitely. I totally agree. I think yep. it's so important for someone giving birth to be flexible, open-minded, because there's no cookie-cutter birth story. Oh, I think we've said that before. But so true. What I mean is labor and birth, like we said, is an ever-changing scenario. It's never the same. And if the birthing person nope. is married to the narrative that it has to be one way or another— then oftentimes the result is feeling bad about how it all unfolded, which can increase the risk for postpartum depression and anxiety. Absolutely. I used to say that the birth journey doesn't matter. It's only about outcomes. Hmm. And I was really all about that for a long time. And then when I started getting involved with more doulas and more labor support, they really did shift my thinking into, you know, Lizzie, it's not just the outcome. The birth story is significant. It's true. I do understand that having had the labor from hell and a cesarean and high blood pressure and a fever and... Oh my gosh, you had (laughs) all the things. I had it all. We're fine. (laughs) He's all grown and beautiful. But definitely I do want people to understand that we are sensitive to the birth journey but that part of my mindset Mm -hmm. is about safety and a safe delivery that has to supersede my emotions in the hospital setting yeah it does because again that is fundamental to what my job is Mm -hmm. yeah as a nurse i'd like to have the opportunity to answer my patients questions and involve them in the decision-making process together, mm-hmm. just she and I yeah. and her partner. And then everybody else in the room can chime in when they sure. want. I just want my patient to understand yeah. that um, basically I'm the boss and in control of her life. No, I'm, don't, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. But the shared decision-making yeah. is such a huge point. I think that involvement helps the patient to feel Okay, I had a say in my birth story. Totally. And that sense of control can decrease the risk of the postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and trauma from your birth story. Absolutely. So patients now, I Mm -hmm. think it's really good to have in your mind that it's okay to pause your nurse and say, like, if they're introducing some new intervention that you were unsure of what happened— You can pause your nurse and say, can I think about this for a moment or can I discuss this with my partner? And that little pause is totally welcome. And 100 percent. Yeah. We we want you to have that time to think about it. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. I would really want someone to say first, tell me the risk benefit Mm -hmm. of having this procedure of augmenting my labor, of breaking my bag of water. What is the risk? What is the benefit? then let me talk about it Mm -hmm. with my partner. And I would say if there's any vocabulary in there that you'd understand, let me define that first. So the patient's not spinning in her head something that doesn't exist. Right. I think that's important. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Collaborative in a perfect world. So remember, I'm here to give you the safest but also the most rewarding birth experience possible. And if you bring me candy or donuts, I'll be even nicer. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. We do like snacks, though. Oh, my God. Too many. Please. I prefer the savory snacks because we get so many snacks. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as Birth Nurse Liz, and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.